Bibles tonight to the book of James. Bev's favorite book of the Bible, or at least one of them, and boy, it is so very practical. Everybody ought to spend a lot of time in this little book. James chapter number 3, I'm going to speak to you tonight about the ways of wisdom, the ways of of wisdom, and our text is found in verse number 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Both the Greeks and the Jews highly valued wisdom but they had different views of, uh, of what wisdom really is. The Greeks thought about it as uh, an increase in one's mental capacities, especially in the philosophical knowledge. And they loved to sit around and, uh, and uh, <laughs> spew out all of their thoughts, be philosophical about everything you might have met some people like that. Uh, my mother had a lot of that in her. Uh, the Jews, like James, thought of wisdom in terms of action, not just gathering up more and more and more knowledge and then sitting around uh, debating one with the other. Uh, but rather something that would lead to action. And that's what James is all about, you'll remember. He, even in talking about the matter of faith, he said, uh, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, faith is something with action. Well, wisdom, wisdom is the same thing. And so the fact of the matter is, uh, even today, there are a lot of folks that think they're wise that, that aren't wise. And uh, this ought to be a matter of concern to all of us because as we examine the Bible, we find that a great deal depends upon wisdom. And uh, because of that, we, we ought to pursue it and we ought to search for it. And we'll talk about that in a little while, but uh, it's, it's not a matter of whether it's something that we think we need or what we want, but the Bible commands us that we're to we're to pursue it. We're to search after it. But, but I think maybe the first thing we need to do is to learn how to recognize wisdom. Look at verse 13, for example. And I want you to notice the question here. I've underlined it in my Bible. It says, who is a wise man? How would you answer that? might do us good to pause for a minute and just sit and think about how would I answer that? Who, who is a wise man? And first of all, we've got to realize there are two kinds of wisdom, and he deals with that here beginning in verse number 14. There is a wisdom of this world, and, and then there is a wisdom that is from above. Notice what he says, But if ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not, against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. 
For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every, notice that, every evil work. So the wisdom of this world produces one thing. The wisdom from above is another. Well, you know, naturally we all want the wisdom from above. And naturally the world operates for the most part with the wisdom that is from below. I want you to notice here that as James shows us the ways of wisdom that he mentions several different things that enables us to see what it is. First of all, this true wisdom that's from above is pure. Verse 17, the wisdom that is from above is first pure. That tells us that wisdom causes us to strive for purity. And, uh, you know, that's strange... uh, that a lot of folks, you know, that are concerned about the purity of their drinking water have no concern about the purity of their life. Think about that. I mean, boy, we want those exact standards met. We don't want any lead in our water. We don't want any of those microorganisms in our water or whatever you call them. I mean, we, we want pure drinking water. But the wisdom that's from above is concerned about the purity of life. And uh, uh, that simply implies that we're deeply concerned about our moral behavior. And if we're lacking in our moral behavior, well, then we're lacking in wisdom. So if you see someone out here that's living an impure life, you know they don't have the wisdom that comes from God. And whenever we look at the Word of God and find out what God is requiring from us, we know that God requires purity in our thoughts and in our words and in our deeds. So when he says this wisdom that's from above is pure, it affects all of those areas of our life. Our thought life is going to be pure. Our words are going to be pure. Our deeds are going to be pure. And we're going to have a concern for maintaining purity in our life. We don't hear much about purity anymore, do we? I mean, that's almost unheard of. You never hear anybody preaching a sermon about purity. I guess maybe we think we've got it all figured out or it doesn't matter or whatever, but the Bible says a lot about it. And it is an evidence of us having wisdom. So that tells you a lot about the world you live in. That tells us very clearly that the average person out here is lacking in this wisdom that's from above because there's no concern for purity in any form whatsoever anymore. And then notice, not only is this wisdom pure, but he says it is peaceable. Now, I don't know about you whenever I read that word, uh, you know, how it impacts you. But whenever I look at it, the first thought that kind of jumped in my mind was, you know, in in every uh, sport that involves a ball team, they have their MVPs, their most valuable players, football, basketball, baseball. So-and-so won the MVP this year. Well, let me tell you, whenever it comes to the Lord's church, maybe the MVP of the Lord's church would be the peacemakers. Because I tell you, so much depends upon our unity in the church 
And it's so very important that we maintain unity in the church. Now, that's really difficult to do. Why? Well, because we're all different. No two people alike. I mean, we're not only different in our physical appearance, but we're different in the things that we enjoy. We're different a lot of times in certain things that we have convictions about, and we're uh, we're, we're just different. And so uh, that means in order to be at peace with one another, we've got to work at this. And it's not going to just happen just because, you know, uh, that, that we all trusted Christ as our Savior, that's not an automatic ticket to peacefulness. We've got to pursue after it, and it takes wisdom. Whenever you've seen so many churches torn apart by strife and division, and, uh, you know, I, I just shudder to think where we would be were it not for the peacemakers. And you can count them among the wise. If there's a member of this church that that from their conduct that it has become obvious to you, that person is a real peacemaker. You know, it's not that they compromise their convictions. It's not that they uh, compromise on the standards of the Bible or anything, but they're always working for peace. It's kind of like... uh, kind of like I've said, whenever it comes to decorating the building and what have you, if, if the whole church voted to make one wall polka dot and the other wall striped, why I wouldn't? I, I think it'd be silly to do that. But uh, I, I'll get a paintbrush and best I can. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd want to help. You know, try to get it done. And uh, you know, a lot of times when we think, well, you know, I'd do that, but if we're not careful, there'll be some area because about the time we think we've got a handle on this, there'll be some area that that we're just firmly convinced that our way is the only way. And and I have a dear preacher friend who is uh, I'm not even going to go there. And I'm not because this is being broadcast and I, I, I don't want to hurt anyone. But let me tell you, when it comes to the architectural design of this building and the decoration of this building and whether or not we use an overhead and so forth. Good night. What difference does it make? Listen, I, I realize and I understand that there's a right way and a wrong way, a good way and a bad way to do some things. But it's kind of like the old saying, a bulldog can whip a skunk at any time, but the stink ain't worth the fight. And that's that's so true. Why, you know, why in the world are we going to create division in the church and strife that's going to hinder the ministry of the church just so we can get our way about something? And I'm so thankful for the peacemakers. They're the wise ones. And that's what he says. Not only that, but the wisdom that's from above. Notice, I, I love this word he says is gentle. Well, you know, having just spoken about peace, I, you know, I can't think of a better word than this that's necessary for us to be a peacemaker. You can't be a peacemaker without being gentle. You can't be like a bull in the china shop, you know, and just, uh, boy, you're, you're just going to force this down everyone's throat. You're going to make them accept it, like it or not. And, uh, it doesn't work that way. And there's a great need for gentleness. I think two of my favorite words are ladies and gentlemen. 
ladies and gentlemen. Not all women are ladies and not all men are gentlemen. And we ought to strive to, uh, to be gentle, whether a man, a woman, or whoever. That word gentle means seemingly, or it means we would say suitable, uh, fair, mild, or gentle. In other words, instead of, you know, bragging about us being rugged and rough, we need to strive for gentleness in dealing one with another. I, I, you know, I wish I had learned that the very first year that I was a pastor. I, I hadn't learned that lesson, and I was the bull in the china shop. And let me tell you, it just doesn't work, and, and, and it's plumb stupid to, to do that. Gentleness is a sign of strength rather than weakness. So many, so many times we think, you know, if I give in to them, if I let them have their way, you know, that, that's showing weakness on my part. No, it, it's showing strength on our part when we do that. And Paul is a great example of that, and I'll not turn there, but he deals with it in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7 and verse number 11. And, uh, he was gentle in his dealings with them, even as a nurse with a child and even as a mother with her little child. He was gentle with them. Then notice he says, here's another one of the ways of wisdom. He says, it is easy to be entreated. Now, that phrase from, comes from a Greek word. That, that easy to be entreated is one Greek word. It means Easily obeying or compliant. It's speaking about one who knows that he doesn't know it all. He is considerate. He's willing to listen, willing to learn, and respectful of others. Easy to be entreated. Well, you know, there's some people, if you, I, I, if you had a flat tire in the emergency of some kind, there's some people you, you, you don't even want to ask for help, right? I mean, you probably know some folks like that because... You know, they might help you, but then they'd give you a 30-minute lecture on why you should have had a different brand of tire or something and make you feel about that high. And uh, and there are other people, the wise people, that are easily to be entreated. And it's just, you know, you can converse with them so easy. You can approach them without any, any fear or, or trepidation whatsoever. And that's what he's saying here. They're easy to be entreated. That is a way of wisdom. Then notice he says, full of mercy. And mercy has to do with kindness or goodwill towards others, especially toward those that are miserable, those that are afflicted. But, but this word's always joined with a desire to help them. When we talk about being full of mercy, it's more than... Uh, just looking at their situation and saying, oh, oh, you know, I, God have mercy on you. I mean, I, I, I'm just so sorry for what you're going through. Sympathy is one thing. Empathy is another thing. And that's what we're talking about here when he says full of mercy. It has that desire to put yourself in their place and to help them because you, you, you are feeling what they feel. And we need to remember, the, you know, the command of Christ. In fact, let me just turn back here to Luke chapter 6 for a minute. This is such an important verse for all of us. In verse number 36, Be ye therefore merciful, now, now get this, as your Father also is merciful. 
Oh, I tell you, I am so glad that God is merciful and gracious. I'd hate to think where I would be if God said, uh, "Tomorrow, you know, we're going to we're, we're we're going to start a new strategy working with you, and I'm going to withhold my mercy and withhold my grace, and from now on, you're going to have to earn your way, and you're going to get whatever you deserve." Man, I'd be doomed, and we all would. And so here he's telling us that wisdom, the person with wisdom, is full of mercy. And the motivation, the motivation is what? That God has been merciful to us. And on that basis, we're to be merciful to others. Then notice here he gives us a sixth way of wisdom. And he says also, not only that, but notice what he says Back in our text, that it is, uh, and good fruits, and good fruits. This could speak about our works. The fruit is what we produce, in other words. So it can have to do with our works or our acts or our deeds, the manner in which we behave or the things that we do. And by the way, that ought to be different than what the world does because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and so forth. And so we ought to be different. And the wise person, you're going to see the fruit of it in their life. Then he says, notice, without partiality. So we're to be impartial. How do we do that? Well, by treating people fairly and alike. Fairly and alike. Now, don't misunderstand that because I've heard people say we ought to treat all of our children exactly the same, and uh, I don't think that's right. I don't think we ought to treat them exactly the same because they're not exactly the same. And if you have very many children, you'll realize that you have to deal with each child in a different manner because they're different. You cannot take the same approach with each one where a stern look might be all that is needed for one, the other one might need a good spanking, you see. So whatever it is. But when it comes to the matter of being fair, when it comes to the matter of being kind, and in regards to those matters, we ought to treat all of them exactly alike. There should not be any favoritism shown one to the other. That ought not to exist in a family. That ought not to exist in the Lord's church. Regardless of who it is, we ought to be impartial to every member, whether they're white, whether they're black, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're learned, whether they're illiterate. It doesn't make any difference we ought to have the same kind of love one for another. And if we're wise, if we're wise, we'll be impartial one toward another. And then notice he says not only that, but here's another way of wisdom. I think this is number eight. He says that true wisdom is without hypocrisy. I think absolutely everybody would agree if I said there's too much pretense in most churches today. And that pretense covers pretty much every area of life. For example, sometimes we pretend to be devoted to God. Oh, I love the Lord with all of my heart. I love God. I am devoted to God's work. And boy, the first time push comes to shove and we find something we'd rather do, you know, we, we bail out on God. 
We're just pretending to be devoted to God. We're not willing to do anything difficult. We're not willing to endure any hard trials. We're not willing to, you know, to follow wherever the Spirit of God would direct us. And we're not devoted. It might be that sometimes we can pretend to be concerned for lost souls. He's saying, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, and uh, and yet uh, not really be concerned about those that are lost. And, well, it goes on and on and on, right? Pretending. One of the, one of the real touchy areas of, that is so important is in the matter of, of loving one another. And the Bible tells us naturally over and over and over again that we're to love one another. And our love for one another is to be without pretense. It's so easy to fake love, to just shake somebody's hand and smile and say, you know, God bless you, brother or sister, and pretend like you you love them whenever the truth of the matter is you don't because they irritate you or whatever it is. And uh, we lose sight of the fact there, but by the grace of God goes I. So many times we don't think about that because the fact of the matter is there are some irritating people in the world. There are some unkind people in the world. And we have to deal with those kind of people. Even in, in church a lot of times we have to deal with them and we, we need to learn to love them unconditionally. And uh, after all, isn't that the way the Lord loved us? You know, he didn't give us a list of rules, said, now look, whenever you live up to these, these standards, I'll start loving you. Uh, he, he loves us regardless. Think about it. You can't do anything to stop God from loving you. And whenever we think about others, we need to adopt that attitude in our dealings with each other that that I realize that I have faults and you have faults and that we're going to love each other regardless of how miserably the other person might fail. Now let me try to wrap all of this up because we've been talking about the ways of wisdom, but we need to consider the way to wisdom. And there's two things that we need to consider in doing that, the way to wisdom. Just speaking about the ways of wisdom, those eight things that we've mentioned, the eight things that James has mentioned, uh, they speak for themselves and show us how important this is. Just think about where our families and our church would be if these things were all absent. These are absolutely crucial qualities that ought to be found in our life, and they are the result of wisdom. So if it's that important, then what is the way to wisdom? And there's two things we need to think about. First is the source. And notice he says that is from above. In contrast to the demonic wisdom, that is the wisdom of this world, notice verse 14, that kind of wisdom produces envying and strife, confusion, and every evil work. In other words, there's no telling what might happen if we're operating in that realm. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Every evil work. There's absolutely anything evil that can crop up if we operate according to the wisdom of this world. 
But then there's the true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom that comes from God. And uh, it's the same wisdom by which the Bible tells us that God created and controls the world. Have you ever thought about that? Sure you have. I mean, you've stood outside on a starry night and looked up in the sky and thought, wow. Boy, it not only took a powerful God to put all of this together, it took a wise God. I mean, and the more you learn about it, the more you realize something of the wisdom of God. When you think about all of the planets and all of those stars and being arranged just like they are, and, you you know, if God pushed the sun a little bit closer to earth, (laughs) we'd be toast. If he pulled it away, we'd be an ice cube. I, I mean... You see, God knows exactly the distance the sun needs to be from the earth, and then he's got all of this rotation stuff going on. How about that? You know, and you look at all of this and you think to yourself, wow, what a wise God that is able to do all of this. That's the wisdom that God is offering us, wisdom that is from above. So that's the source. But the second thing has to do with our search. Look in James chapter 1 this time in verse number 15. James 1:15. Well, verse 5, I mean. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Uh, boy, that really sounds simple, right? And, and and in a way it is. If you lack wisdom, then just ask God. And, and, and notice here, he's, whenever he says, if any man lack wisdom, by the way, that's not implying doubt when he says that. The wording of this is such that he is simply affirming the reality that we need wisdom. And the truth is that we all need more wisdom than what we have. If we could in some way, if we were wise enough to find the wisest person among us, even that person needs more wisdom than what they have. So don't get the idea when he says, if any man lack wisdom, that, well, I've already got it, I don't lack it, so I don't need to ask for it. Because we all could use more wisdom than what we have. And notice he says here, he says, ask God for it. But since we're talking about the Word of God, God has some things to say about wisdom. Over in Proverbs, for example, in chapter number 3, chapter 3 and verse number 13, he says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom... And the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandising of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and gain thereof than fine gold. Now this is talking about a search, talking about merchandising. You go out and up and down the streets, and I mean you're out there, you're seeking after wisdom and uh, things like silver and gold. And by the way, you don't find... You don't find gold just laying around on top of the ground, do you? You know, I think I made a, uh, I think maybe I made a bad discovery years ago whenever I was a boy, and, and uh, 
I've actually forgot what it was. I think it was a $20 bill, if I'm not mistaken, that I found in the street. Mom, some way or another, discovered who it was in the neighborhood that dropped the $20 bill. I don't know whether they're lying or not, but I didn't get the $20 bill. But I can remember I spent about the rest of my life, back in those days we walked back and forth to school. (laughs) Oh, the kids get tired of hearing that, don't they? Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, And I was always walking with them head down, looking around. And Mom used to say, I can tell Harold David coming down the road a mile away because he's always looking down. And I was. I was looking for Indian arrowheads or, you know, coins or whatever. Uh, But, uh, you you know, you just don't find diamonds and gold just laying on top of the ground. It's something you've got to dig for, something you've got to search for. And look in chapter 2 of Proverbs because... You know, he, he tells us here in chapter number 2, notice verse number 4, and this speaks about the strong desire that we need in order to gain wisdom. So it's more than just a matter of saying, you know, Lord, I'm not as wise as I ought to be. Would you give me another dose of wisdom? God will give it to you for asking, but we have to search. He says, if, if, there's a condition here, if, if thou seekest her as silver and searcheth for her as for hid treasures. Boy, if, if, if we had put something in, in, in the bulletin this morning, or I would made an announcement and said there's a $1,000 bill. Do they even make $1,000 bills anymore? I don't know. Is that a stack of money hid under one of the seats, and whoever finds it can have it. Boy, we'd tear this place apart, you know, looking for that and, And uh, we'd want to find it. Why? Because it's of great value. But even that money would not be nearly so valuable as the wisdom that God is offering. Now look at verse 7 of chapter number 2 because this is, a, I think, a key part of us seeing the importance of wisdom and what wisdom actually is. He says, He layeth up sound wisdom This is talking about God. God layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. Not just anybody, but for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. So you see, the Bible is telling us that wisdom has to do with what? Discovering the will of God and doing it. That's what righteousness is all about. That's what success is all about. Discovering the will of God and doing it. And this is what he tells us real true wisdom is all about. If I'm not doing the will of God as I know it to be, then it is showing a lack of wisdom on my part. Now, if we had time, we could talk about the work of wisdom, and a lot of things could be said about that. But but I want to close by well, making mention of something else and... and uh, And it has to do with what we were talking about this morning. Going back to James now, this time in chapter 1 of James. And I want to mention just one thing, and this is the thing that forms the context of chapter 1, verse 5. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Here's the context of it. And he's telling us here, basically, 
that we need wisdom that we might see the benefit of our trials and how we can profit from our pain. Look at verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Well, that's the opposite of what I want to do and what I naturally do. Count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, and that can take a lot of different forms, right? The trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And it's then that he says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So the point is that wisdom is absolutely necessary for us to see the value of the difficult things that we go through in life. Enduring trials is essential for us to be a success in God's work. We, we, we have to endure. We must not faint because if we do, we fail. So how do we endure? Well, we endure by having the wisdom to understand that God's not making any mistakes, that God is in control, that God on a day-by-day basis gives us what we need just for that day, and He's going to take all of this and He's going to put it together and cause some good to come out of it. But wait a minute, that's not even the most important part. You know, that'd satisfy most of us if we just, you know, the Lord said, well, now, look, I'm going to put you through this, but I want you to know whenever it's all over and said and done, there's going to be something good come out of it. By the way, the Bible, whenever it says all things work together for good, it doesn't mean that the good might be something related to you personally. The good might have something to do with somebody else. And that shouldn't bother us because, after all, the Bible tells us that we're to think more of the other person than we do of ourselves, right? But you see, that would satisfy most of us. All right, I'm going through this. It's bad and it's horrible. It's terrible. I would never choose it for myself because I know God's going to bring something good out of it. But the main thing is that God is ultimately going to be glorified as a result of it. And, 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 and this is why we need to pray for one another, that we'll have the wisdom. I need your prayers, that I can have the wisdom to understand that whenever things don't go my way, that, that God is, is the one that is in control and that God wants to use it not just for my good, but for His glory. We think about the world that we live in, And all of the problems of this world can be traced to a lack of wisdom. Now, that being the case, then the solution for all of the problems in the world is what? The wisdom that is from above. That's the solution. If the problem's a lack of that, then the solution is an abundance of that wisdom. And if we'll search for it with all of our heart, And to do that, for one thing, we've got to get in this book and live in this book and search for wisdom with all of our heart and ask God for wisdom. And he has committed himself. He said, you ask, 
you'll receive. I hope tonight that it will motivate all of us to search for wisdom just like we were looking for fine gold and precious jewels. And uh, we'll all be better off for it. Let's stand together. Father, tonight, how we thank you, Lord, for not only the instruction but the challenge of your word And I pray tonight that you'll help each one of us to see not only what is best for ourselves, help us to really understand what is most profitable for those that that we come into contact with, and enable us, Lord, to love one another unconditionally, even when the other person doesn't measure up, even whenever they uh, never live up to our expectations even when they fail over and over again. Lord, help us to love them because we can't do it in and of ourselves. We need your help. And Lord, help us to love you so much that more than anything else that we want to see you glorified in the eyes of man. May we lift you up and exalt your holy name wherever we go, not only in word but also in deed. May we give evidence to others that we do indeed possess that wisdom that's from above. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen. Let's stand and while we sing. I don't know what God might want you to do.